Great to see everyone. Uh, before we jump into the word, uh, we want to have a little bit of a family update to give you uh, some information, some heart behind some decisions that we've made uh, around here, or a decision. Uh, anyway, you just saw the advertisement a few seconds ago uh, about the Global Leadership Summit. And if you've been around Journey Church, you know that the Global Leadership Summit has been a tool that we've used for a lot of years to help us grow in our leadership and influence so that we can expand God's kingdom here in in the valley. And the Global Leadership Summit has also given us the opportunity to create some relationships and partner with some of the business community here in town. And as we think about the Global Leadership Summit, it's been a privilege for us to be able to host the summit here at the Commons. But back in March, uh, there were some allegations that became public regarding Bill Hybels and some potential misconduct uh, around some female employees and colleagues. And I want to just let you know that uh, Bill has stepped down from his role as the lead pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, and he's stepped out of his role on the board of the Willow Creek Association, which is a separate organization than his church, but that puts on the Leadership Summit. Uh, He'll have no role in the summit this summer. But I want you to know that as those things started to roll out and the Willow Creek Association was really upfront with us about everything that was going on, as the leadership of our church, it actually gave us some pause. As we began to think about all the things that are happening uh, around our country, around these kinds of issues, uh, especially around sexual misconduct and seeing that there's potential of this happening in the church and we know that it's there and it saddened our heart greatly, but we felt like we needed to pause and pray and reflect and ask ourselves the question, what is gonna be our involvement with the leadership summit going forward? So our leadership team and our council and some of our staff and even some significant women leaders around our church weighed in heavily on this decision. We prayed and we reflected, we read things, we listened to each other, but more importantly, uh, we listened to the Spirit of God. And we came to the conclusion that next year, once again, after all the dust had settled, that we once again will host the GLS here at the Commons. Uh, I want you to know that uh, by choosing to do that, that doesn't make any kind of a statement or any kind of judgment on the allegations against Hybels. We believe that that's probably going to just sort itself out over time. But what we became resolved to is that we need more and better leaders around our church. We need to see the kind of leaders that have Jesus Christ as their North Star that the values of his heart and the values of his kingdom would be the things that drive leaders day in and day out. We realize that this topic of sexual misconduct is a volatile and sensitive issue. And we want you to know that we are very ready and willing to answer any questions that you might have about our decision and how we came to that. And we realize also that for many of you, this is probably the first that you've even heard about some of these things that are swirling around. But it was our heart to want to be very transparent with you and just say, put all of our cards on the table and say, this is why we made the decision. And we very seriously engaged God as a leadership team, and we want you to know that. So moving ahead without hesitation or reservation, we're going to be hosting the summit, and we're going to pray that God uses it as a way to grow us, grow us as a church and lots of churches in our valley as the kind of leaders that would make Jesus smile. So I wanted to just give you that quick update. Now let's get to the word, my favorite part. We're in this series that we're calling The Kingdom of God is Like. 
And if we're gonna understand what the kingdom of God is like and we're gonna learn how to live fully into God's kingdom, one of the things that we have to understand is the heart of the king. We need to know what makes the king's heart beat. Over the next two weeks, we're gonna be looking at some stories that the king himself told, some parables from Luke 15 that will help us understand the heart of the king. Now to set up these parables, Luke does us a favor, is he actually sets a setting for us so that we can understand what was going on when Jesus told these parables. We start in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse one. Here's what Luke tells us. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They muttered. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now let's just try to put our mind around this scene. If you can imagine that Jesus is around the table and Luke wants to make it very clear to us, he is gathered around by sinners. And the NLT, I love the, no, the way that they translate it. He says, notorious sinners. These weren't just your run-of-the-mill sinners. These people were good at it. And they had a reputation. But you see Jesus sitting with them and eating with them. That's saying something in that culture. I mean, in our culture, it's cool if, and hospitable for us to eat with people, but in that culture, it's saying much more than that. It's saying, I'm identifying with you. I want you to be a part of my life. I'm with you and you're with me. So this is what's happening over there. Jesus with sinners, eating, drinking, listening, laughing, learning. But on the other side of the room, we have the religious leaders. And I just kind of imagine this posture with arms folded, head tipped to the side, probably shaking. And Luke tells us they muttered. They muttered, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Does he realize the kind of people that are surrounding him? Does he have any idea what they did last night? Probably not. People are saying he's the Messiah, but if he was the Messiah, he would know the kind of people that are around him. Mutter. The religious leaders muttered. I can never read this text without getting transfixed by that word, mutter, which means to say something in a low or barely audible voice, especially in dissatisfaction and irritation. What does muttering do? Muttering belittles. Muttering builds walls. Muttering says to people, I'm better than you. In fact, I'm so much better than you, I'm not even gonna give you my full voice. Mutter, mutter, mutter. That's the scene. And here's the irony that we've gotta grab a hold of and it breaks God's heart and it needs to break our heart. These people that are muttering, these are God's people. They're his spokespeople in the world. 
These are the people that are supposed to tell the world, this is what God is like. This is how we're to relate to God. But they find themselves in the room with God, right there. They should be pointing at him saying, this is what you do. When you're God, this is how you relate to the world. But that's not what they do. They mutter because they missed it. They didn't understand the king's heart and they didn't understand the kingdom. See, these people that were around Jesus, in their minds, they put them in the category of the enemies of God. That's who they thought they were. But in this scene, we see they're not the enemies of God. They are the audience of God. They're the people that he wants to engage with. Religious leaders. Now, before we get our mutter on and start muttering about the religious leaders, let's humble ourselves just for a second and just say, I think falling into that trap might be a little bit easier than we think it is. I think we, as religious people, as church people, as Christ followers, can find ourselves falling in to that same trap. How? How did they miss it? What caused them to miss it? Let me try to explain it this way. As religious leaders, there were some things that they knew and understood. One thing that they knew as a Jew, as a religious leader, that there was to be a distinction between them and the rest of the world. They were called out. They were to be holy. They were to be set apart. They were to be different from the world. But not a judgmental different, not a weird different, but a holy different. But here's what they missed. In their mind, distinct or distinction, being different than the world, meant distance from people. But that was never what God wanted. What God wanted for them wasn't distance. It was connection. He wanted them to be up close and personal. But here's what happened in their mind. They thought about their need to be distinct and they thought, if I start moving toward people that are not distinct, that are outside of the kingdom of God, I'm gonna become like them. And I don't wanna become like them. So it caused them to step back and to step back. And they focused on their distinction rather than connection. And God's plan for them was always, I want, you, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to other people. Distinction and connection. But then Jesus shows up on the scene and he has a different paradigm. It's not a binary, it's not a choice between distinction and connection, it's both. And it needs to look like this. It needs to look more like a matrix that absolutely involves distinction and absolutely involves connection. And this is what we see in this story. This is what Jesus did so beautifully and what we need to model. If we're gonna understand the ways of Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus and start to practice the ways of Jesus, we need to understand what he did. Now here's what the religious leaders did again. There was great distinction in their mind. 
but there was no connection. So we'll put them over here. This is empty, broken religion. But you can also have a place where you have lots of connection, lots of relationship with people outside of the kingdom of God. But if our life is not different, if our life is not distinct, the kingdom of God doesn't break through there either. It's just simply a relation or a relationship. It's being relational. But here's where Jesus landed. High distinction. He was different from everybody. He was God, holy and pure. But he had this high level of connection with the world. And if we were gonna put a word on this, we would call this the incarnation. God became man. Was he distinct? Absolutely. He was 100% God. But when he came to this earth to connect with us, he was also 100% man. This is what Jesus is modeling in this picture. It's a picture of the incarnation. People mattered to him. They're not the enemies of the kingdom. They're the audience of the kingdom. We need to be connected with them. And here's what I'm challenged with. Sometimes I hear people who are passionate people of faith, but they're talking about people that maybe look different than them, act different than them, have a different lifestyle with them, root for the Montana Grizzlies, and they think those people are the enemy. They're not the enemy. They're the audience of the gospel, never the enemy. And this is what I love about that picture of Jesus, the incarnation. He was not like the people that were sitting around him. He was completely pure, completely holy, without sin, in a context of sinners. He wasn't like them, but he liked them. And you know what? They liked him back. They felt safe with him. Friends, that's the heart of the king. That's where the kingdom breaks in. When we figure out how do we take distinction and connection and we overlay it, that's where the kingdom of God breaks into this world. Because if we have distinction, only distinction, we have nothing to invite people into. Actually, I said that wrong. Without distinction, we have nothing to invite people into. But without connection, we have no people to invite. That's why Jesus is this beautiful picture in the incarnation. We could learn a lot just from the setting that Luke gives us about these parables. Now let's jump into the parables themselves and make a couple of observations. Luke chapter 15 and verse three. It says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, 
there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then he goes on, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my one lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You don't have to be a great theologian to look at these stories and come to one major conclusion. People matter to God. Even one person matters to God. All people. The king doesn't mutter. Our king doesn't mutter. He goes after the lost. He makes them a priority. He drops everything to follow after them and to go find them. Journey, we've got to ask the question of ourselves, are we willing to follow our king in the same way? Are we willing to drop things in order to go after the one? Before you say yes too quickly, let's count the cost. It is gonna be costly. It's gonna take an incredible amount of risk and it's gonna take an incredible amount of effort. And Jesus makes it clear in this parable to go after the one sheep, that one sheep over there, cute sheep, isn't it? 14 bucks on Amazon, you could have that sheep. But Jesus says, if you wanna go after that sheep, you've gotta make a decision because there's 99 sheep over here and you've gotta look at that sheep, look at this 99 and say, I'm gonna risk it. I'm gonna risk that they could be stolen, they could be attacked, something could happen to them. But the heart of the king says, I'm going after it. I'm going after the one. I'm willing to risk it. Because the heart of the king says, one matters. One matters to me. But you could just say, Jesus, that doesn't make sense. That's bad math. That's bad business. Jesus says, that's okay. One matters to me. It's gonna take risk to go after people. And then he talks about the coin. This woman had 10 coins, beautiful coins, valuable coins, but she loses one of them. What does she do? You know, she could just say, well, maybe it'll turn up. Maybe if it's God's will, that coin will come back to me. That could be a plan that she has. But no, what does it say that she does? It says she turns on the lights. She grabs a broom and she goes after the coin. She goes for it. She searches diligently. I would have frisked you if you had tried to put this in your... She goes after it and finds it because it's valuable. I've got to go after it. Now, I, I could have stood up there and just said, I don't have time for that right now. 
God, I don't have time. I've got nine coins and 99 sheep right here, right now, that are hanging on my every word. Not really. But no, Jesus says, drop what you're doing, preacher boy. It doesn't matter as much as going after the one lost coin. He says, go after it. It matters to me and it should matter to you. Prayed all day that I wouldn't tear my ACL doing that. We need to get those, we need stairs back here. It's gonna take risk, it's gonna take effort. We're gonna have to drop some things if we're gonna grab the heart of the king and be willing to go after the one. But journey, people's lives, people's eternities are worth it. They're worth going after. And are we gonna fail sometimes when we try to go after lost ones? Absolutely. In fact, I believe if we're not failing and maybe even failing a lot, we're probably not trying the way the king wants us to. We've gotta be diligent about it. We're gonna make mistakes Yes, but Journey, I pray that we will be that church, that we will be those people that continually go after the one to try to reach the people that nobody else is reaching because the one matters to him. Can I make an observation about our king that I love from this parable? This king, this shepherd that goes after the sheep. He goes after this sheep while it is still sinning. Now it just says that it's wandering. Wandering away from God is just a metaphor for talking about sin. Sin has lots of different forms, but at the essence, it's just us wandering away from God, wanting to do our own thing. This sheep was wandering and the shepherd is going after it. Let's think about this sheep for a second. If we were just rating sheep, giving grades to sheep, which sheep might get the award for being the dumbest? <laughs> Some right here don't want to hurt his feelings. Which sheep had the worst performance record of all hundred sheep? This one. Which sheep had the most to be ashamed of? This one did. In fact, for the sake of illustration, I thought I should have painted this sheep black. This is the black sheep. Do you know what Jesus is telling us? The heart of the king goes after the black sheep. If you're a parent, if you're a parent of more than one child, when one of your children is wandering, which one has your most attention? It's the one that's wandering. It's the one you're thinking about. It's the one you're praying for. You can't get them off of your mind. That's the heart of our king. He sees the wanderer and he goes after the wanderer. And what does he do when he finds it? When he gets to that sheep, does he beat the sheep? Does he shame the sheep? Look at what you did. I had to leave 99 in order to come get you. Does he give the sheep a list of, these are the hundred things that you need to do to get back into the fold? No, he doesn't do any of those things. 
And you know what else he doesn't do? He doesn't mutter. The text just simply says, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. God does it. God does it. Joyfully grabs that sheep that's wandering. And what does he do when he gets home? He celebrates. He celebrates. He throws a party. What we need to understand is if if we're wondering what does it mean to win as a church, that's the win. The one is the win for us, friends. It's the one. But Jesus takes the one back to the nine, back to the 99, and then he parties like it's 1999. (laughs) Some of you got the Prince reference. I'm really excited about that. But that's the heart of our king. He doesn't mutter, but he matters. He matters because he goes after the one. Journey, we've got to decide, and I hope in some ways we've already decided, what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church that mutters about people, about the things that are going on in the world? Because there's plenty to mutter about. I think there's plenty of Christ followers willing to mutter. Are we going to be that kind of a church? Are we going to be a church that matters? I've asked this before. I'm going to keep asking it again. Jesus didn't mutter. Jesus mattered. And he mattered because he was willing to cross boundaries that nobody else was willing to cross. The religious people certainly wouldn't. He went to the outcast. He went to the tax collector. He went to the prostitute. He went to the Samaritan woman. For crying out loud, he even went to the educated, wealthy people like Saul who was killing Christians. He went to them and said, come home. Jesus didn't mutter. Jesus mattered. And when I think about what it's gonna look like for us, Journey, to hit the sweet spot of our church, I've got this picture in my mind. This is what I believe down to my toes is going to be true. The people that are wandering, irreligious people, people that have questions about faith, living on the margins of faith, maybe even questions about God, maybe incredibly skeptical, they will feel loved by us. They may not agree with everything that we say, They may not believe everything that we believe, but at the end of the day, they will know I'm loved. And they will never feel overlooked. They will never feel devalued. And they'll never feel unworthy of our time and of our attention. Whether they agree with us or not, I want them to say, those guys are a little bit crazy. But doggone it, I think they love us. I think they care about us. And friends, if we hit that sweet spot, if our faith is rightly understood and rightly communicated, you know what else is gonna happen? Religious people are gonna mutter. Mutterers are gonna mutter. They just will. But that's okay. I wanna be with him. I wanna have his heart. I want to be in the places that he would go with the people that he cares about. I want to go after the one. 
and I want us to do it together. That's what God is calling us to be if we're gonna understand the kingdom and if we're gonna live the heart of the king, we've gotta grab a hold of that truth that the one matters. Back in World War II, there was a German industrialist. He was also a member of the Nazi party. He knew how to make a buck. So he had these factories in German-occupied Poland that he realized that if he could hire Jews to work in these factories, he could make a lot of money. His name was Oskar Schindler. Maybe you've heard of him. What started out for him as a way to make a lot of money changed when he realized what was happening to the Jewish people inside of those Nazi concentration camps. And it became a mission for him. And as time went on, what he would have to do to bribe the Nazi party, to bribe the SS, to get the Jews out of the concentration camp, the cost of the bribes continued to rise. But he took it as a mission. I'm gonna raise the money. I'm gonna get as many as I can because Oscar Schindler knew one matters. Let's watch this scene from Schindler's List. This is gold. Two more people. 
given me two floors, at least one. He would have given me one, one more. One more person. I could have become one more person, and I didn't. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> One matters. One matters. Friends, we got ones running around us everywhere. People that we work with. People that we live around. People that we have fun with. One matters. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so grateful that you're the king that's willing to go after the one. You're the shepherd that's willing to go after the one. But not only that, Jesus, you were the shepherd that was willing to become the sheep, to become the lamb of God for us. You so wanted to connect with sinners like me. You wanted to identify with sinners like me that you were willing to die in my place. That you were willing to take the identity of my sin upon yourself. And you were willing to give me the identity of you and your righteousness. Jesus, you're an amazing king. Would you grow our heart to be like yours? Would you give us a heart for the one that you had? Can you remind us, Jesus, of what it was like when we were the one? Never let us forget. Jesus, we love you and we trust you and we bow our knee to you and we join you in your mission of going after the one. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.